Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. the ninth year in the 222nd episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Wanda Taylor at the Fly Fishing Show in Edison, New Jersey. There was no particular plan of direction in conversation. We decided to discuss marlin. Wanda discusses how to fight big fish if you're not a big person, ocean plastic, swimming with whales, and her bucket list destinations. One of the cool benefits of podcasting is getting to sit down with someone like Wanda one-on-one and listen to them tell stories in a quiet environment. And then I get to share her stories with you. This episode is brought to you by ayobayo.com, A-Y-O-B-A-Y-O.com. Traditional South African high-protein snacks with no added sugar. This isn't jerky. Their biltong is made with the finest cuts of beef that are air-dried for over 14 days. A South African family transplanted to Northern Virginia using their family recipes for biltong, a food snack which dates to over 400 years old in South Africa. You can find Ayobayo products at Amazon, Mid-Atlantic and North Atlantic Whole Foods, select Wegman stores, Balducci's, and King's. We had guests over last weekend and we served them the spicy biltong, the ladies were drinking gin and the shrub from the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. We were drinking Hop Slam. It paired amazingly with the beer. Everyone's a huge fan of this product when you introduce it to them. Most people don't know about biltong, especially if you don't know South Africans or you have not spent time in South Africa. So please go to one of those websites, purchase the biltong, and please your friends. And we are going to be taking it with us on trips throughout the spring. My wife's taking it a whole bag with her, much to my disappointment, skiing next week in Breckenridge. So, ayobio.com. Let's go talk to Wanda. 
All right, we've got Wanda Taylor with us, and you like to fish for marlin. So I think this podcast might be the intro to Marlin 101. <laughs> what got you into Marlin? Well, I had the opportunity to go to um, Captain Jake Jordan's sailfish school in Guatemala. And uh, the cool part about that was I'd never really caught anything larger than maybe a 75-pound tarpon. That's bigger than I want to catch. <laughs> they can really make you realize how weak you are. Uh, the idea that he had with women in sport and fly fishing is to show that you don't really have to be a really strong muscle person to catch a, a sailfish or a, you know, a offshore fish at all. It's all in technique. And so we went out one day out of Guatemala and we raised 32 sailfish and I caught 17 in one day with his instruction and with the best captain in the universe with his two mates. So um, the idea was that I, I had to understand to listen and then to follow the instructions that he was giving me while all this was going on. And I don't know if you understand that it was sometimes when you are, feel like you're in danger or you've caught the fish of a lifetime, you can't hear anything. You just kind of like blank out. Mm -hmm. Tunnel vision. T yeah, or just the, the adrenaline of, oh my gosh, so I'm, I need to fight this thing. And that's, I think it's, it's either fight or flight with most of us. And with him, he stood beside me and just gently said, number one, breathe. Number two, let the fish run is until it stops running. And when it does, then we're going to reel, 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 reel. But you're never to fight the fish. If you fight the fish with a bent rod, the fish is going to win. Uh, the 20-pound class tippet that we're going for will break. So you just have to let it run. And then when it stops or it comes up to the surface to rest, the captain can see that. And then he'll back down on it, and then you just have to reel. And always pulling back straight, rocking back straight, and then reeling forward. There's none of this high sticking with a bent rod. The truth is, with a bent rod, you probably put one to two pounds of pressure on a fish. But when you have the rod straight, it really hurts the fish. Because when you pull back, you're pulling the entire fish instead of that bouncy little tip that's going to give it some cushion. So that was an epiphany for me to understand that it wasn't about strength, it was about technique. We now have hooks that won't straighten. We have tippets that won't break. We have fly lines that won't break. We have rods that won't break. We have captains that know what in the heck they're doing. So I learned a valuable lesson that day. Not only was it impressive to catch 19 selfish in one day, it was just I learned so much about fighting fish and big fish, fish that jump. Um, so from that, like six or seven months later, I was invited to go on an excursion in Costa Rica to do the same thing with Blue Marlin. And when it comes to, he has this X factor for tarpon. He puts tarpon and fish in the same category. Um, the strength and the poundage, you'll say they're all 100 pounds. Selfish and the tarpon's 100 pounds. That X stands for 100 pounds of strength, and that's where he puts 100 pound tarpon and 100 pound selfish. Next would be white marlin and striped marlin. They would get XX strength over the tarpon and the selfish. It's a big animal. But the blue marlin has got 6X and up to 10X, depending on the poundage of the bluefish. And 
so that keeping that all in your head pound per pound it's like fighting a freight train and you'll never win if you try to put the down down and dirty is to do outs method which we learned and we taught that that's the way you fight fish for so many years and billy pate is you have to you know bend the rod and get down and dirty and fight it but because of the technology that we have now and the industry is continually to grow i did a, a speaking tour in california last spring and the topic was um how the industry has changed our sport like where we have been the history where we are and where we're going well last year's where we're going has already changed to do this show again i have to go in and change 14 pages of hooks lines leaders rods all this technology and the the graphics of the rod strength and the stuff that we've learned in one year and it's amazing to me so it just we're just going from point a to point b so fast Fortunately for us, because we're not in a war, and with that, we get the highest strength graphite, you know, over airplanes that have to be built and that kind of thing. So, uh, so does the golf industry, you know. So does the tennis industry. Which so they is, all benefit. We all time. benefit of peace times. <laughs> so now, I remember, you know, well, I don't remember. I know World War II medals were difficult to come by, and, and other things people had to sacrifice. And we didn't mind. It was all for our freedom and for our country. Yeah. And we, we as a country, said, you know, this is our, pre our president right now in our life. Fortunately, this this group of generations, fortunately, has no clue. And I'm so grateful and so thankful that we're in a peacetime and hope that continues, not just because of my sport but taking priority, but that we're getting to learn some things that we didn't know actually existed. You're good. You got a question? I can edit this out. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. What's up? Not much. We're on the podcast live. You are. I'm looking for a water fountain. I have not found one. Go to Iceland. Um, and they, they have water in they Iceland? They have water bottles at Iceland booth. Awesome. Sorry. That's all right. It's all good. Love the bill time. Thank you. <laughs> I never thought about that, that now you can get all this high-tech gear that is available that otherwise would be... Yeah, because in the past, we lost a lot of fish just because the hook was straightened out. You know, the angler did everything right, or what they thought was right, and it, and then they decided that we needed to use two hooks for offshore fishing. And just recently, because of Jake's data, and he's the only one that's doing this offshore consistently. And this is all the West Coast. It's all over the world. But the fishery, that, the fishing you're doing, though, that's we're doing on the West Coast of Guatemala, doing, in Costa Rica. I'm not really sure of that. But I, I thought you meant the West Coast of the oh. United States. <laughs> no, when I mean, you're out fishing for these, you're fishing the, yeah. the Pacific side of yes. the countries. Yes, yes. Okay. Off, well, we had to go off 120 miles offshore to get to the phantoms of water that we needed. Where next week, you know, we're going to Hawaii, and their phantoms, because of the volcanoes there, is just across the street. Mm -hmm. And so we, when we went to Costa Rica, we stayed on the ship for three days and three nights and we fished from daylight till dark 18 hours and because of the distance we had to go to find where the fish would actually be coming through and migrating but in Hawaii they're just right out there in your backyard which is I cannot wait to go on this this soon expedition but everything has changed so fast that it's making it possible for people my size and even someone your daughter's size if she understands what the tools can do and how to use them she'll be able to catch world records if she chooses to. Uh, 
our president is we would like to see world records change the way they view them. I'd like to see proving it instead of killing the fish to be done with drones or GoPros and um, documentaries. With We had outdoor riders on board when we was doing the Blue Marlin um, expedition. So they recorded it as well as photography. And that way, that game fish can be caught again and again. And each year with Blue Marlin, they're going to get another 50 pounds, another 100 pounds. And so you're talking about fish that could possibly be seven, 800 pounds. And we want those fish making more babies. Absolutely. And then it, it improves the quality of our offshore fishing. Are these fish being tagged? Uh, some are. Uh, some are not. It depends on the captain of the ship if you want to take the time to do that. The quality of the fish, like we want to keep them wet. There's no more lap dance. We don't do lap dances. You know, we have the we have the GoPro long extension sticks. They just remove the hook and lift them one quick time and then back in the water. And then a lot of anglers will just dive in the water and do underwater photography with their fish. Get in water that deep where it's just I know. bottomless I know. freaks me out. I know. Well, I don't swim. I mean, I can dog paddle, but I don't swim. So I admire my, my friend, Captain Sarah Gardner, did that with hers. And she's a, she's an, she's a triathlon. So she, she's a really strong swimmer. But they had the underwater camera photography to see that, and it was exceptional. And I think there's a push now across the nation, especially with our 50-50 our program with women in fly fishing, or women in fishing in general, that they're teaching the conservation issue of forget the trophy shot, you know, holding up in your hands and sticking out in front of the camera, shoot it underwater, you know, let's keep them wet and keep them healthy and keep them alive. So that's the point that we're trying to make with this next expedition for Shrop Marlin and Big Eye Tuna and that kind of thing. Unless you're going to eat them, you know, there's some sushi or something, that's totally up to you. But a game fish is, as Lee Wolf said, is too valuable a resource to kill. What goes in your packing list for an expedition like that? Sunscreen, <laughs> hats, uh, finger guards, um, water, motion sickness medication. Uh, I used to the patches behind my ear that seems to help me more than anything else that I've tried and I know everyone I have something different um, just to make sure that they have food on board that you can eat and just know that you're going camping in a primitive way and enjoy the you know the experience basically when you're fighting them do you have special footwear so you don't slip on the boat yeah I do have great deck shoes um, that I wear if, if it's choppy water uh, in Costa Rica it was mainly glass most of the time so I was barefooted I just had I could tell exactly how to move across the boat because the fish will turn directions on you in a split nanosecond so you may have to go from the right back end of the boat to the left or actually go all the way around the boat to keep it from going under and you know possibly getting tangled up in something so yeah your footwear is, is that most important so what's the process they're looking for sails or beak sticking out of the water <laughs> how, how do you find a fish in that deep water other than just radar yeah well they have in Costa Rica they have fads that they built you know structures on top of these mountains underwater and they built them so the fads is like a, a, a fish attracting device and so they know where they are and they keep creating more of them which is which is good 
Then they put out teasers and try to see if they can raise a fish or whatever. If they can, great. If they can't, they just keep moving on to a different area. And then the captains, like, you know, I got on a river, and we talked to each other. It's like, hey, dude, you need to come down two miles. i got a major hatch going on. They talked to each other. It's like, you know what, we saw this yesterday. It may not be there today, but just having, you know, cooperation uh, in the resource because they're all in it together. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So when a fish comes up and you've got teasers, you mm-hmm. just chuck. Yeah, the captain will tell you when to when to cast and, and where to cast and or to turn off from the cast. So, um, yeah, the teasers are brought in, and then you place the, the I call it half a chicken for the blue marlin in, in Costa Rica because it is. It's hot pink, and you just want to stimulate the strike. And... Um, and then you don't really set the hook like we t- do for tarpon. There's none of that strip strike stuff. It's just like a pull back, a jab, almost almost like you're sword fishing, like a jab, and then let go. Because if you ever once try to strike or fight, boom, the 20 pound tippet breaks. And so you have to wait till they tire and the fly line starts sinking and actually will pull them downward. And so they think that, you know, the, the the direction of the fight is not upward now. They're not going to pull away from that. I think it's downward, so they're going to come up. And when they come up, then that's to your advantage, and that's when the captain says, we're going after it. It's, it's getting fatigued. Does their beak or rostrum get in the way? Excuse me? The the the, the no, bill. No, normally, you know, normally, hopefully, they when they hit, that they hit and turn. And the, the ideal, you know, hookup is out in the corner of the, of the mouth. So, no. Never. No worries about them jumping. I've seen the videos where people get impaled. Well, that's it has been in the past, I think, an issue because of the way they were fighting that that fish. Normally when we get within, I'd say, 10, 15 feet of the boat, the, the, the mates come in, you know, and start wrapping and just pulling gently, trying not to aggravate the fish in any, any way and try to take the hook out and just really safely get the fly back. It's all done so much more gentle. There's, there's none of that gaffing stuff going on. And, yeah, gaffing yeah. seems it's so, so it, it just sounds barbaric. bizarre. Yeah, well, it, it was. But there were so many at that time. And now we white people, you know, brown people and black people have destroyed the fishery. And we have to teach the next generation that it's very fragile and that we have to protect it. Just like this push for, you know, don't use plastics because we're finding those plastics in the ocean and they're coming in the, in the fiber of the fish themselves and the turtles and uh, and then we're eating that you mm-hmm. know so even like the micro beads get in the food chain absolutely absolutely and it's something that we all love fish and I you know I hear I'm snobby I want wild caught fish I don't want farm raised fish farm raised fish maybe fed trout chow but the the natural grown fish maybe be eating plastic so unless we stop it you know and we understand that the landfills they will be full of this stuff and a lot of people are dumping it in the ocean they don't even think about it i saw the coolest photograph on facebook the other day that just really struck me in the heart it was a child 
you may have seen it, child went out and this artist made it look like the child was pulling up the ocean and looking underneath it with his hands and under it was plastic bottles and flip-flops and all this trash and he was just like peering it. Really? That's under there? You know, it was just kind of a, an epiphany of really what, what we've been doing. Right. Our generation has been doing and not thinking one thing about it. And the people before us... We didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. And now we know. So let's we know be better. <laughs> yeah, so let's be responsible. Absolutely. Let's be responsible about it. And, and I've recently, you know, I have a friend that he was getting water bottles for us to go hiking. I said, what are you doing? And he says, what, what? And I said, you know, we've got all kinds of metal containers that we can put our water in. And it's going to be cleaner and stay colder. And plus, who knows how long this plastic bottle's been in a warehouse. And that plastic gets into this water. And then here you're drinking it. And also we've got to destroy the plastic. And you know what it does to the ocean. And it does to the rivers. And he just kind of hung his head. And he says, I've been reprimanded, but I get it. And I feel so embarrassed. All right, I'm buying no more. And, and that, this is the way it starts. I just wanted him to think about it because, I mean, he was a chemical engineer. He, he of all people, but he yeah. hadn't really got to home yet. And I said, and you love sushi as much as I love sushi? You know? So this is what could and probably is happening. Do you ever get tuna right on the boat and cut them up and eat them? Yes. Small ones, yes. Love it. Absolutely love it. My brother said he's done that when he's eating it while it's still twitching. Oh, I haven't done the twitch thing because the mates fix it for me. (laughs) He was in the Sea of Cortez and he said they were Uh, eating the tuna while it was you could see it like moving. Yeah, I think that's a guy thing. Guys would really like that. We like we like ours just laying still. Okay. (laughs) It's like the Texans I work with, they want their cow just Short of mooing. Right. You know, that's how rare they want their meat. No hooves and no bells. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right. But it's an individual choice. And uh, I know we all have to make it. And I'm not trying to be snobby about, you know, the way we live and the way we eat. But I just think we should all think about it and just be more responsible with what we do and how we live. Yeah, that's one thing being a dad is trying to get my kid to understand a lot of things like mm-hmm. in her lunch we're not using a ziploc bag every day for you to take a sandwich we wrap it in wax paper yeah and by the end of the day that wax paper is almost already dissolved yeah exactly she uses the same lunch bag every day the same thermos the same mm-hmm. everything right and i'm seeing i'm noticing more people producing you know water and milk and orange juice and stuff in cardboard cartons but you know there was a push during my teenage life was we were cutting down all the trees and we're killing the universe that way too because you've got paper mm-hmm. but they're now using biodegradable things and also reusable they're you know reprocessing that paper so i'm all about that but i don't think that paper is going to bother us, you know, health-wise, like plastic. Where it gets in the water. And or styrofoam. Or, you know. So Washington, D.C. banned styrofoam for takeout. Yay! We don't don't see them on the shore anymore. There really was a huge reduction in styrofoam garbage. Yeah. And I was in uh, St. Thomas this summer, and it was the first hotel with a Marriott that I'd been served a drink at a restaurant that had a paper straw. Mm Mm-hmm. And we grew up on paper straws, but everything else was just plastic. And so they were making a notable change, and I, and I thanked them for it, but it was served to me in a plastic cup. <laughs> we got to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we ended up getting silicone straws because the paper ones, if you leave them too long, they kind of Yeah, they get mushy. mushy. Yeah, the silicones are nice. They're yeah. very nice, and you can wash them and sterilize them and reuse them. So that's really, really nice. Yeah. What we talk about next? Stripe Marlin. Stripe Marlin. All right, so how did you get into Marlin to begin with? What, where were these billfish? Was it something you'd always dreamed of and well, then the opportunity showed up? No, my mentor, who I've had for 
30 years, Captain Dayton Jordan, has introduced me to more saltwater species than any person I've ever known. He, he invited me to his first bonefish school in Exuma back in the very late 80s and he wanted me to I never caught a saltwater fish I didn't I mean I was in North Georgia girl trout you know and so um, I was so hooked so fast because of the speed of the fish that all you can do once you hook one is just laugh I, I couldn't stop laughing and I thought this is bringing me this much joy I want to turn other people on to this and then he you know started developing the selfish school and then the, the marlin school now he's got customers that want what they call the Grand Slam in Marlin, which would be a um, a black Marlin, a white Marlin, a striped Marlin, and a blue Marlin. And that's the grander kind of thing. And there's not many men or women in the world who's accomplished that, maybe a handful. And uh, so he's developing fisheries to be able to do that in Australia, and then I think Argentina for the, for the white Marlin, and then the stripe in Hawaii, so they're, they're taking different locations where you can catch these species, and he's asked me to go along, not only to learn as a student, but also to do photography work and just the experience, so as a woman fly angler and also a spokesperson, national and internationally, he wants me to be able to intelligently to be able to talk about it, and then it's a, it's, it's a whole new spectrum of people who want big fish, you know, when you first start fly fishing or fishing period, you just want to catch one. It took me one year to catch my first fish on a fly. And the reason was, I didn't know this word called polarization in your sunglasses. And finally figured that out, and boy, was it easier to set the hook that way. When you... My clients, I said, right there. What you, right don't you where? see it? You don't see it? So I have to don't take my, I take my glasses off, and I cover my eyes so I don't get a hook in it. Yeah. I give it to them. And I go, wow, have they been there all that time? And you went, yeah. Like, there's eels right at your toes. What? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's just things that you kind of have to walk into. And then after you catch one, you want to catch a lot of them. You go into numbers. And then a lot of people, after they catch the numbers, they're going to go for the big bad boy, you know, the one that's the biggest and the baddest. Um, but just learning, to, I mean, I'd love to catch every species in the world. I, it's just a new experience, and they all respond differently. Just like if you had a dozen children, they would all be totally different. They're different personalities, and, and they'd look different, and they'd re behave different. And I just, keep, to me, it keeps the sport intriguing and interesting. Um, I don't know if I'll live long enough to catch all the species in the world, but I sure would like to try. <laughs> so once you can accomplish a huge marlin or, or striped marlin, mm -hmm. is it size you're looking for, world record, or just, just species. getting one? Yeah, it's just species and see how they react. Because I know that in the X factor, they're an XX. They're not X, and they're not like the like the blue marlin, the 6X to 10X. But it's just seeing the beauty of that fish, how they light up like Dorado. You know, when you catch a Dorado, they just go from from a dull yellow green to an electric aqua blue yellow green and they when they're especially when they're excited um, I just find that so interesting I, I don't know that we do that as human beings but I know that they do we blush we get <laughs> green looking when we're ill yeah. and we get burnt in the side yeah. that kind of thing um, and then a big eyed tuna uh, are supposed to be really really strong fish and I would love to see one there's another one that's um, trying to think what this one's called. Someone's asking me about it today in Hawaii. Um, a hopla, something like that. But um, it's kind of a big, broad, flat fish with little tiny eyes and little tiny lips, and they're now trying to catch some Is that the, the moonfish? Yeah, the moonfish. They've, never, they've just some, recently renamed it moonfish. There was one caught off Ocean City, Maryland last yes, year. Yes, which is unheard of. No idea. Yeah. Panama Canal, maybe? It came, yeah. I have no idea how it got I there. think it was lost, you know, like Nemo. Maybe. Yeah, like we had a, there was that mandarin duck that was in 
<laughs> in New York City all summer. That's crazy. It's the things that are happening. Up. Yeah, and we're we we're recently having pelicans, white pelicans, on our lake. You know, in Tennessee, and it's like, what is going on? But I've seen them out west. They get confused. Which is still bizarre to me. Oh yeah, on Yellowstone Lake. Yeah, <laughs> seen them fly over us in Colorado. My wife's like, what is that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really something. But um, it, just to be able to see that, you know, new species. So I, I don't, I don't dive. I'm not a diver, so I'm missing some of the things that divers are. I'm, I'm talking about. They're like, well, we see that all the time. But you have to go down to where they live. And fortunately, the pressure in my ear doesn't allow me to do that. I can snorkel, and you know, I've had the opportunity to snorkel in the Arctic Ocean when I was up in Churchill with Gangler's Lodge for beluga whales, and that was a, an experience of a lifetime. You went snorkeling with whales? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we went up fishing for pike, and uh, they've got these incredible pike fishing at Gangler's, and um, that was fished for those for two days, and um, for um, walleye and giant grayling even bigger than the ones I caught in Alaska. They're just beautiful. And we did them on dry flies, on little caddis dry flies, which is so fun. And then you take a couple of days off, and they fly you on up to Churchill where there's no roads, there's no train. The only way you can get there is by plane. And they have polar bears there year-round. And the polar bears, um, most of the time you, walk, you observe them from, from uh, boats that come. You know, we have boats that float come around and show you on the mountains, but they do come into town, and you have some tours that you can take. Especially at night, you'll hear fireworks go off at night, and you think people are celebrating, but they're trying to get the bears to go back into the Arctic Ocean. My goodness. Yeah. You don't want them to become garbage, you know, bears like we have in the Great Smokes. That Sometimes you have rogue bears that you have to capture and take them away. But the belugas are just right there in the Hudson Bay, and um, they have excursions that you can kayak with them. And I had, I had a mama and a baby just kind of surface with me and follow me for a while. And all of a sudden, the male counterpart decided to come under me. And he lifted my kayak out of the water up several times. And I'm screaming. And my guide was just cracking up. And she said, don't touch him with your oar or he'll flip you. And you are in the Arctic Ocean. And all you have is a life vest. And I said, what am I supposed to do? She said, he's just scratching his back and saying, hey, he'll put you down eventually. And so he, when my daughter scratches her back on the wall, it's, yeah. they're using you to scratch them. Yeah, yeah. And wow. then they put me down. And so I was so elated. So I get into town, and this is like a northern exposure little town. Everybody knows everybody. And there's just like 25, 30 tourists. And I ran into a mom and a dad and a college kid. And she said, what'd you do today? And I said, I kayaked with the beluga whales. It was the most amazing thing in my life. She said, oh, we swam with them. You've got, to, Wanda, you've got to swim with them tomorrow. I said, I don't swim. She said, well, you're in 14-millimeter uh, wetsuit, so you float. 14-millimeter. Yeah, wetsuit. And I said, didn't, you, didn't your face hurt? She said, well, yeah, I got a little brain freeze, but once you get over it, when you put your head in the water, you hear them talk to each other, and it's like children in a cafeteria talking and squealing to each other. And then there's just thousands of them. So I said, I don't know, I'm, I'm nervous. And she, she looked at me and she said, so when are you going to be back to do this again in your lifetime? I said, probably never. All right, you're right. I, I have to do this. So the next day I went out in a Zodiac with three or four more people. One's from Bolivia, two are from, Itat, from Italy. They all were there to photograph the balloons underwater. And so I got out there and they put me in and told me how to clear the mask and when I finally put my face in, I saw what she was talking about, and I heard what she was talking about. Even our guide had a microphone he put down in the water, and you could hear them on speaker, like, squealing and talking, and the mom would talk to the children, and dads would, you know, say something in a deeper sound. 
And so I was just laying there watching this kind of thing, and all of a sudden this young one had just kind of swam up in front of my face like that. I mean, it's like I could put my hand on his face. And I went, <gasps> like that. And when I did, <laughs> I took in half the Arctic Ocean and got strangled and coughing. And my guy just kind of reached down and pulled me up on the ladder, you know, got me under control. And uh, he said, you'll be okay. And I said, sure, yeah. So he said, come on board and let's give you some tea. And there was another girl came in. She was on, there on her honeymoon with her fiancé. And she was kind of a skinny thing. And she was getting cold, too. And she said, oh, that was remarkable. And he, he, she said, I tried to sing to them. It seemed like when I'd sing to them, they would come to me. And then my lips froze. <laughs> How cold is that water? I don't know, but it was, we were blue. I mean, just my face was blue, but the rest of me, you know, my feet, my arms, everything was warm. So it was just getting used to that on your face and, and losing yourself in the moment. Putting my hand in a steelhead river in yeah. the winter is painful enough. I know, but... To, but the, and it's the, colder because it's salt water up there, too. Uh, so it's yeah, but you cool. float so much easier, which was so cool. So after that, we all got in the Kodiak, and he says, all right, I'm, I found a mom and a baby polar bear, and I want you guys to see this thing going down. So we got in there, and we rode up, and here's this mama and this baby polar bear, and the polar bear... At the small one had found a buoy and he was trying to get up on top of the buoy and rest on it and she was knocking him off and then he would knock the buoy back to her it's like they were playing ball yeah like you know, tetherball between a mom and a baby yeah and uh the, you know the cameras were going like crazy everybody's photographing them and finally the guy uh, the guide says uh-oh and we said what and he said there's a seal over there and it's time for us to leave and the guy says, no, this is why we came. We want to see them feed. And, and he says, no, you don't want to see this. She's going to teach him, you know, how to survive. So it's he, like David Attenborough. Episode <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just something that, you know, there's so much like that in the world that I want to see and do. And it all, how I got brought there was by fly fishing. And I'm just so grateful to this sport, how the people it introduced me to and the lifestyles that it introduced me to, you know, it's changed me forever. And, and I hope my trip to Hawaii, I may come back knowing how to do the hula. I don't know. Which island or islands? Uh, we're going to be at, at, at Kona, I guess, okay. where the coffee is. Yeah, Kona's big island. Mm -hmm, kind of down south. I think on the left of that island is where they have, right now going on, is the highest surf we've had for a while and these world-class surfers are going to be on the left side and then on the right it's calm and protected from the winds the and that's where we'll be fishing there so have you been to hawaii before yeah but i was a kid i've been like I 17 or 18 i just remember of course i'm a farm girl and we didn't have orchids on our plate with every meal you know but i was just like blown away with that because i love you know beautiful flowers um and i do love pineapples so whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Com. It was nice. Pineapple juice at the ABC store there was like, it was like fresh <laughs> squeeze. Like someone in the back had just macerated that pineapple. Oh, I'll have to have so some. So good. Yeah, making my mouth water now just talking about yeah. it. Are you going to need some Spam while you're there? That is my, the only food that I hate and cannot tolerate is Spam. 
And I know I'm going to the spam capital of the world. It's number 21 on my silly list. Yeah. What item? Do, can you eat? Yeah, and people say, I said, I really can't. I can eat anything. Roadkill. I'll, I'll eat anything. But spam, I just draw the line. It's just parts of parts, squished in parts. Yeah. yeah. How is it you never learned to swim? Well, I tried it several times. My dad, growing when my sister and I were growing up, he said he was going to teach us how to swim the way he learned to swim. And he took us down to the, to the river, and he threw us both in. I didn't come up. My sister did. My sister's younger. And so she came down and saved me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I was six. She was like three or four. And um, I just took, Traumatized I, you. I just keep going, <gasps> you know, instead of holding your breath and you'll float up. I'm learning now to float, to float, to just hold your breath and your your body's going to tell you where's up mm -hmm. if you get up. Because I got in a tsunami accident with my kayak out in the ocean. And um, I just kept going down. And something just said, just hold your breath and you're going to, I'm going to show you up, you know, and it didn't turn me to the top and then I was able to breathe. But, um, I can dog paddle. I just can't save anyone's lives. And she was a lifeguard. I mean, she saved me so many times. She's just, just a born, up she's just a born swimmer. Baby. Yeah. Long so she's the underwater. That's like, my brother's the underwater sibling. He's the scuba diver, mm -hmm. underwater photographer. I do it all above ground. Yeah, me too. I mean, when I fish, I wear flotation devices. When I wait fish, you know, my boat, I wear some kind of flotation just for safety reasons. Number one, but Number two, I, in case I do need to help someone, I at least want to be able to give them a hand instead of being in a panic situation. Absolutely. Yeah. So after Marlin, is there a and Big Eye Tuna, is there something you're going to try and track down? Well, there's so many places. I've never fished the, the Seychelles or Galapagos. I mean, there's just so many places in the world that I'd love to fish. I have fortunately got to fish in Australia, but um, I haven't done the GTs or, you know, I don't. I think we'll, I'll run out of life before I run out of species of fish to catch. <laughs> what are some of your favorites? Or should uh, I say, are there least favorite fish to catch? No, no. Like well, catfish. Uh, you know, gizzard shad and needlefish for me. I don't want anything to do with. <laughs> My favorite still, even though you know these game fish are amazing and they jump. I love. I'm learning to love fish that jump. Uh, bonefish, I think, is probably my favorite of all time. But, it, but they have those in Hawaii, too, so mm -hmm. I hope I'll get to have a day on the flats, maybe, and yeah. see some that they've been... I've been seeing on Facebook, and it's like, oh my God, those are monsters. There's some big ones out there. Yeah, yeah, so um, there's always a challenge, and I'm, I'm up for it. Has there been any fish you've tried to catch that just didn't work out? Carp. Carp and I have not been able to tangle yet. The slimy suckers. Uh, I was on board uh, a boat where the, the guy who's fishing with me caught this giant carp, and he says, "Come over here and stand with me. Let's get our picture taken with this carp." And I said, "Okay." And I touched it, and it was like just a grease watermelon. Oh, it's just a slimy thing. But I know it's you know it's a game fish now, and especially in foreign countries, once that's the only game fish they have. Because the yeah, because their water quality is. I mean, ours is bad, but theirs is horrific. Uh, people, you know, living and dumping all the stuff they do in their water system, and get carp clean that up. And they're accessible, uh, you know, all over the place. Last year we were at the ICAST show in Orlando, and some of the guys left the show and went out to catch carp in some of the trenches around the, the. They were having, you know, withdrawals from fishing. There was a dead largemouth in the pond once in front of the ICAST building. Mm -hmm. I, I'd oh never, my gosh! And I'm like, 
And some local was just like, you know, that little thing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, they're Floridians. Oh, my gosh. You know, they're used to really big fish. But I grew up, you know, close to the Great Smoky Mountains. So I grew up on brook trout. Right. Native brook trout. And and that's what I thought was big. And now I'm just learning really what's a big fish. Um, and it did intimidate me for a while, catching something bigger than you. What's the biggest fish you've caught? Well, um, hooked the 350-pound blue marlin last year. My goodness. Uh, and what happened, I was so enamored. It was the last fish of the day, and it it just, my reel just, and all of a sudden, I look over to the left, and it looked like it was two miles away, and this big marlin was leaping and leaping, and I just, out loud, it came out of me, and I said, whose fish is that? And Jake said, it's yours. And for that split moment, I held on to the reel. Bink, zing, pow. And, of course, he bumps me in the back of the head like, what are you thinking? I said, I was so taken by looking at that beautiful 350-pound blue marlin. I lost myself in it. And I just held on for one split second. And that's how you, the difference between great angler, anglers and just okay anglers. <laughs> you have to listen and then apply. So I learned from that, I hope. Yeah. But, you know, I, it, I was mesmerized. What, what are some of the, uh, the companies you work with now? Well, I worked, I have worked and still do work for Total, T, uh, TFO Fly Rods out of Dallas, Texas. I'm on their national advisory staff for the past 18 years. And, um, I adore them. They they invite me to teach all over the place, so whenever they ask me to go, I'll, I'll try to be available if I possibly can. Is this one of the first shows you're doing this year? Uh, yeah. From here, I go to Atlanta, and um, then we have Super Bowl Sunday there, and then I fly out for to Hawaii. So, so Atlanta is the same weekend as the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Me getting the room there is just pulling chicken teeth but yeah. they're having it fortunately just on friday and saturday and and not having it on sunday you can't find a room on sunday and if you do it's 700 to 1200 dollars. i think we're gonna be in my neighbor's bar in his basement <laughs> i think that's a good idea i'm probably making some ooey gooey dip in the crock pot <laughs> well i'll be in the air thinking about you down there and uh trying to focus you know <sighs> breathing and not not holding on to the reel yeah Where's your next destination after Hawaii? Um, I'm, well, I'm going to Ganglers you know, uh, in August. And I'll be there for a couple of weeks and doing some um, hosting of guests coming in and um, doing casting lessons and taking people to Churchill to have the experience that I had. And, Tell uh, them to get in the water. Making sure they have a good time. Well, you know, everybody has to make their own choice on that. Um, Can if, you just lean over and put oh, your yeah. face in? Oh, yeah. I want to do that during the shad. Just put my face in the yeah. water. But my, my mom will freak out if I get Potomac water in my ears. She thinks I'm going to get a flesh-eating amoeba or a brain-eating amoeba <laughs> in like, my ears or nose. That's your mom. Yeah. The first time I even thought about snorkeling was with, I was out with Emily and Dave Whitlock on the Buffalo River, and we were going for smallmouth. And Dave, was we had kayaked or canoe down this river, and he was fiddling around with this new fly he wanted to try. And uh, so he was casting it, and then he was under with this mask, and he was looking at it, and he says, Wanda, come down here and see what you think. He says, they're just kind of nipping at the back of it. So I said, well, I don't swim, Dave. He said, should I swim? He said, just kind of slide off of that rock and just hold your breath and sit there and look what's going on. And sure enough, he had like five or six little smallmouth following this long woolly bigger thing he had. And he says, I think it's too long. What do you think? And I got up, and I said, yeah, it looks like it's too long. And... He said, it's a whole different world down there, isn't it? And I said, yeah, and you tricked me and got me underwater. Thank you for that. 
because you know you realize, you don't realize what's going on down there. And so in my community, they're they're bringing children and high school students into the Conestoga River because we have so many dace and, and endangered species of, of fish, and they're wanting to teach them about it and how to help the water. And that they're doing that with the the uh, Tennessee Aquarium Conservation. Um, organization. There's a lot of fish in the Tennessee River. Drainage. Oh my! The book alone. Gosh! It's, it's like it's, a birthday cake. I had no idea. We have more than than anywhere in the United States yeah, or the it's Southeast. Amazing. Yeah. So it's been an education to me, and it's encouraged me to just, if I don't swim, just go down and sit in the water and see what's going on down there. My grandma on my mom's side had a condo she lived right on the beach and mm-hmm. there was the old highway a1a mm-hmm. which was underwater so we had, they had a coral reef in their backyard <gasps> so i was snorkeling before i yeah. could ride a bike my yeah. parents made us make sure that we were out there yeah observing it was, it was crazy so then i got to the age where i was fishing so mm-hmm. i'd snorkel find out where everything was and then get out and go and chase smart those fish idea. yeah smart. that was before i started fishing with a fly rod yeah yeah but it still gives you a resource and, and kind of see, well, why are they there? Yeah. And, you know, why should I cast there? And why are they hiding out there, getting comfort, getting food? What's going on? But uh, it's neat to go into a, another animal's world and something that you never thought about before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have an aquarium so I can see yeah. all bugs and stuff, what they do. Oh, Dave does too. You need to go to his house. <laughs> I would move in with David Lockett yeah, if I could. I love that man. He, he's like a child. When he gets out like that, he's like a 13-year-old little boy. He's just so fascinated by all that that's going on in the water. We've got his prints all over our house. <laughs> he's got a little bluegill signed for my uh-huh. daughter. Oh, yeah. I've got some of the juvenile cards. Is it the, are they the juveniles? I've got like big. Oh, big. Ones. I got the big, ba- big bad brown. Yeah. Above my tying desk. Yeah, he's gifted, and yeah. us. and Emily is just a, the princess of the universe. I adore both of them. I don't think people know how much Dave contributed to what we all do. No, uh, just along with the fish box for raising eggs. Yes. Let alone, I mean, that's the reason why we can fish for all these species around the country. Right. He's he's been one of my board. I'm on the board of the um, Southern Appalach- Appalachian Fly Fishing Museum, and. Uh, he is at the top of our list, nominated to be put into the museum this year, and I hope that we get the vote for that, for his conservation efforts. He is an incredible individual, and his, his books and his education and what he does. All the illustrations. The yes. Yeah, it's yes. one well, of a kind. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anything else you want to talk about that we didn't bring up? No. What kind of sunscreen do you prefer? Um, I like a sunscreen that has no scent and that's um, that you know kind of goes into your skin like a clear because the, the ones in the cream for some reason they make me feel like i can't breathe you know they're just too thick mm-hmm. so i don't really have a brand nitrogena i mean something like that that's light it's mainly because i have very fragile skin my my family is double irish so we burn we you know everything i put on me breaks me out and have you ever seen the picture it's called irish girl at the beach no Let's see if i get the internet for this irish girl at the beach does she look like a fried tomato all right can you see the can you see the irish girl she's right there no i can't see her that, those are her toes that's like her butt oh well, she's so white you can't see her that, she's about, the same color as the sand yeah. <laughs> irish girl at the beach yep that's me <laughs> i always say my wife's russian i would say she gets a burn on a full moon oh yeah she can't go out she always burns it doesn't yeah. matter yeah. what she puts on or what she wears mm-hmm. the day before her wedding she was driving her friends around dc with her arm out the window and she came home and it was lobster orange yeah. 
in yeah. the morning. Like, the day before the wedding, like we can't put makeup on your whole arm. She couldn't think. Of, you know, she, you know, she had other things on her mind. But I, I don't go out any day without sunscreen. Yeah, I wear it every day. So I wear a hat every day mm-hmm. to, outside. Mm-hmm. It's good, good stuff. Especially in our industry, I mean, we're out more than everyone else. Yeah, that's okay. right. And the, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a dermatologist nightmare, but just riding in the car. On either the passenger side yeah, or the driver's it. side is where I've got most of my damage, not on the front of a flats boat or an offshore boat. Uh, it's just that daily exposure coming through the windows of the car. Now, there's another picture of the truck driver. That's, exactly. That's, that's the driving side of his face. Exactly. And and they don't realize just because they're in a vehicle that they they should use yeah. sunscreen, but it's ultimately important, especially morning sun, evening sun. And you've been in that evening sun traffic that blinds you. Yes, that's exactly what happens to your skin. So... You want to do some silly questions now? Those one, yeah, sure. All right. We already know the one food you won't eat. Uh, are you related to anyone famous? No. All right. If uh, you had a superpower to make you a better angler, what would it be? That I could think like a fish and hear them talk All right. in my head. What would ruin a day on the water? Nothing. Ketchup or mustard on hot dogs? Both. All right. That's two in a row we've had. Uh, let's see. Favorite fly fishing book? The River Wine. What item, if you left home, would ruin your day on the water? My fishing license. That'll, the man will get you. Yeah, I don't want to go to jail. Do you have any ridiculous phobias? Claustrophobia. Okay. But not ridiculous. A lot of people have claustrophobia. Uh, I, I, there was that Maury Povich show where the woman was like mortally scared of tinfoil. And then this guy comes out from backstage with all this tinfoil and she's <laughs> oh, no. screaming. That's that's terrible. They and should never do there that was to a, her. The same episode, a woman was scared of pickles. I mean, just crazy. And so they were like throwing pickles at her on stage. That's mean. Best sandwich you've ever had? Grouper. Grouper sandwich. Let's see. If you had access to a DeLorean with a flux capacitor to go back in time to fish somewhere before modern society ruined it, where would you go? Florida Keys. Let's see. The new question, uh, if you only had one deli meat to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? I can't eat deli meat. There you go. Yeah. All those chemicals in there. A lot of nitrates. Oh, dear Lord. It should be banned from the world. One of the neighbors in my neighborhood, he asked that a couple weeks ago. We all sat around. We're like, dang, we're taking this too seriously. (laughs) I said salami. There's a lot of different types of salami, but that's full of nitrates. Yeah, I don't even buy it stuff. I try not to. If it's not fresh, I haven't cooked it fresh, I try not to eat it. Do you have any social media website where people could follow your trip and travels online? Sure. Um, my website is wandataylorflyfishing.com. Uh, they can follow me on uh, Instagram as South First Lady of First Fly Fishing. And then on Facebook, it's just Wanda Hair Taylor, I think. Do you have a personalized license plate like First Lady? No, I used to do stuff like that. But then people were following me when I fished. You know, you park your car and it says, Wanda's fishing here, you know, on the tag. My friend, yep. my friend and Mac Brown up in the Nantahala has... Mac Brown on the back of his tag, but he says he doesn't care because he likes an audience. 
I just don't want to advertise that there might be expensive gear in my car. <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't have any stickers on it, right? I have a Grateful Dead sticker, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have a TFO sticker on there, and those who know know me know it's me. Well, but you Rick know. put one on my car, a couple, uh-huh. my old car. Yeah. And then I got the new one. I haven't put anything on it. Yeah. Yeah. Rick and uh, Corey Ruth both put stickers on. <laughs> I was Ruthless. Like, I was like, if you got a sticker at the Healing Waters tournament, I was like, go for it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that car died or something. Yeah, I try not to do the the trophy stuff or stickers, you know. Where did the first lady come from? Well, because I did so many firsts by accident. I mean, I I was like the first woman Orvis endorsed guide in the southeast, and I was then I didn't know I was going to be the first woman master certified casting instructor in the world. I had, I didn't know that. In fact, if I knew that, I probably wouldn't have even tried it. You know, taking the certification exam, um, and then I was the first woman inducted into the Southern Appalachian Fly Fishing Hall of Fame. Uh, it's just first happened to me, but I, I didn't mean for it to. So but my guide friends just started calling me the First Lady. And then the real First Lady is Joan Wolf. I mean, we know that. She is like the First Lady of fly fishing. And she, uh, we talked about it. And she saw somebody, somebody showed it to her on Instagram. And she says, well, there can be two of us. And I said, Joan, no, no, your first lady is different than mine. Mine was by accident. Yours was intentional. <laughs> she said, no, I didn't start out to be, but I started young like you. And you didn't mean to be the first young lady to win all these international fly casting, uh, you know, competitions. But she did. And so, uh, and that's the beautiful thing of it. It's not like you had an ego that's like, I'm going to be the first at tiddlywinks. It's just... I actually know what that is. Yeah, yeah. There was a well, Tiddlywinks club at my dad's high school. <laughs> I'm like, what did you guys do? Did yeah. you guys drink beer in high school? You played Tiddlywinks? <laughs> right. But anyway, it turned out to... It was, it was, turned out, it was just a joke, but it seems like every time I turn around, I'm doing something like the first woman to wor- break you know, the world's record for Blue Marlin. Well, I didn't mean to do that. It's just I've got... Uh, got the, my creator sends me to some really cool places, and I've got, you got a support team. Behind I've you. got great friends and cool places that just say, "Hey, you wanna?" And I'm going, "Sure, why not?" Instead of, "I'm afraid," you know, it's never entered my mind to say, "No, I'm afraid." It's just, okay, let's just do it. Let's try it. What have I got to lose? And uh, if there's one thing I want to instill in young girls and young women's minds, is that's it. The world is your oyster, and just don't turn something down because you're afraid. We're all afraid. We all have things that we're afraid of, but it's, it's taking that next step past that is where the courage comes from. Fantastic. I think we can end the interview with that. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Wanda. <laughs> You're welcome. Let's see what's going on in the show since we've been in here. Oh, man. This Hopefully has been it's not so burnt quiet. down. Oh, no. But it's been nice to have some quiet down here, you know? Not everybody's, uh, all the noise. It's sitting down, too. My yes. After standing for, I don't know, what, eight hours a day? Yeah. Get to do it again tomorrow. What a pleasure. I need a scooter or something to get around. <laughs> you on. need a Zach, what they call Segways? Segways. Se- segways. That's what yeah. you need. That'd be cool. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6'8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.